Welcome to the Oceanside Sanctuary Podcast. We're continuing our new series titled The Abundant Community. Throughout this series, we are exploring justice through generosity. Today, Pastor Jason Coker shares a timely message from 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 5 about recognizing what God has given us, our response to God's lavish goodness in our life. And when there is extra left over, we share it with each other. Listen now to Jason's teaching titled, Justice Through Generosity. Uh, Thanksgiving's coming up, and one of the things that I really love about Thanksgiving is everything. Thanksgiving, honestly, is probably my favorite holiday. It's because I'm such a big fan of eating and food. If you've been around here for a while, you know that. This is just about my favorite topic. Uh, What you may not know is that I take Thanksgiving so seriously that a few years ago I decided that the turkey just wasn't enough, that a turkey wasn't big enough or gluttonous enough. And so I learned about the thing uh, in the universe that I hadn't learned about before, which is the existence of something called a turducken. Now, some of you may know what a turducken is. If you don't, let me just help you discover this amazing thing. It's exactly what it sounds like. It's a turkey, but inside the turkey, instead of the regular bones and the cavity and the stuffing, all of that, it's it's actually a duck inside the turkey. And then inside that duck is also a chicken. So yeah, you, you heard it right. It's a chicken wrapped in a duck wrapped in a turkey. And this is something that you can make at home. And I thought, this is, this is amazing. This is, the, this is the most incredible thing I've ever heard. So I looked up on the internet, uh, the recipe, and in between the layers of the chicken and the duck and the turkey are layers of stuffing. And so I just decided this is exactly what we need for our Thanksgiving. So the first year I made a turducken, I discovered you have to debone all three of those birds, right? I'm not the kind of person who buys the turducken online and then they ship it. You can do that too, by the way. But I, I just like to make my own everything. So this is what I did. I, you know, we bought the, the chicken and the duck and the turkey. You have to debone all of them. You have to make sure you have very sharp knives. And then, you know, you end up cutting yourself all, you know, uh, throughout the, the process, which is lots of fun. And then you have to make three different kinds of stuffing because you need a different kind of stuffing in between all of the layers, right, all stuffed in there. And then you throw it in the oven. And in our case, uh, it was only supposed to take about, oh, I think 10 hours to cook because that thing is just solid meat and stuffing, right? It's not like bones and a cavity. So it takes a lot longer to roast a turducken than it takes to roast a regular bird. So I think it was supposed to take 10 hours, but the problem is is that the bird itself was too big for our oven, so the oven door wouldn't shut all the way. Like one end of the bird was sort of sticking out, and so I I closed the oven as, as far as it would go, and then I thought, well, this isn't how ovens are supposed to work, so I cranked the heat up a little bit more just to, just to compensate. And I think it took 18 hours to roast that turducken. I was up in the middle of the night checking the temperature, you know, siphoning off drippings, basting the thing. But we finally got the turducken cooked. And here's the beautiful thing about the turducken. You, you take the thing out, it looks just like a regular turkey, only you can take a large sharp knife and you can just cut that thing slices right down the center of it like it's a big meat and stuffing like jelly roll. It's the most amazing thing 
you've ever seen. And by the way, the most amazing thing you've ever tasted for Thanksgiving. The reason I love this holiday is because it's the one time of year that gluttony becomes like a spiritual discipline, right? Like indulging in too much is what you're supposed to do on Thanksgiving because it's literally a celebration of all the good things that we have in our lives. This is what celebrations are. We spend the rest of our lives being fairly responsible, hopefully, fairly disciplined, fairly frugal. But we are that way because we have a kind of moral and ethical responsibility to only spend what we bring in, to only consume what we have. In other words, to, to not take too much. And when we live that way in a posture of gratitude and a posture of responsibility, we also become very aware of how much God has given us. And that's what we have celebrations for. We have celebrations and holidays so that we can throw parties and make turduckins and make pumpkin pies and make stuffing and make deviled eggs and, you know, crack out all of, uh, you know, the assortment of drinks and have like way too much leftover so that when everybody leaves, they take like bags of leftovers, right? The whole thing becomes a kind of microcosm of the economy of God, where there is enough for everybody. In fact, there's more than enough for everybody. And when you all come together and you celebrate God's goodness, there is a bunch left over. That's what these celebrations are about. That's what I mean when I say gluttony becomes a spiritual discipline. You think I'm joking, but I'm not. When it's time to party, it's time to spend too much. It's time to eat too much. It's time to make too much. Because it becomes a celebration of how God has been good throughout your lives. That's what today's passage is really all about. Today's passage is about recognizing what God has given us, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 2, and then how our response to God's lavish goodness in our lives means that when there is extra left over, we share it with each other. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We're going to start just in verse 1, and this is the Apostle Paul writing a letter to the Christians in Corinth. He says this, We want you to know, brothers and sisters, about the grace of God that has been granted to the churches of Macedonia. For during a severe ordeal of affliction, their abundant joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. So he begins this particular chapter by telling them a very, very quick little story, the story about the churches in Macedonia that at one time in their existence really suffered, really struggled with extreme poverty. They really uh, were in despair, but because God has now delivered them from that, they are overflowing in generosity. This is sort of the quick little story that Paul begins this particular passage with. Then he goes on, verse 3, For as I can testify, they voluntarily gave according to their means, and even beyond their means, begging us earnestly for the privilege of sharing in this ministry to the saints. And this, not merely as we expected, they gave themselves first to the Lord and by the will of God to us. Now, you can tell that Paul is actually in fundraising mode. Because he's really laying it on thick here. Right? Not only did they give 
but they gave generously beyond what they were able to. Now, right about now, you're probably thinking to yourself, I've been here before in some church somewhere where the preacher was up front talking about giving beyond your means. Don't worry, that's not what I'm going to do. I'm not nearly as bold as Paul. But that's really where he's going. Where he's going is he's going to ask them for money. He's going to ask them to contribute to a worthy cause. And what he's doing is he's setting forth another church as an example, folks who gave generously even though they had previously been in despair. So he continues, verse 6, so that we might urge Titus that, as he had already made a beginning, so he should also complete this generous undertaking among you. you know, he's talking about finishing their commitment to making a generous gift. Now, as you excel in everything, right? Now he's laying on the, you know, the, the compliments, right? You guys are good at everything you do. As you excel in everything, in faith and in speech and in knowledge and utmost eagerness and in our love for you, so we want you to excel also in this generous undertaking. I do not say this as a command. I'm not saying you have to give, but I am testing the genuineness of your love against the earnestness of others. For you know the generous act of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this is where Paul's going to actually make a pretty important theological point. And this is where I really want to stop and dwell. But let's read it first. For you know the generous act of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. Now, Paul goes from a little bit of pressure, right? A little bit of guilt. Hey, by the way, this other church gave a lot. I'm asking you to give. He goes from that to a little bit of flattery. You know, you guys are good at everything you do. I'd really love for you to be good at this too, right? He goes from that to making actually a really fascinating and important theological point that has, I think, powerful implications for us that go way beyond just you reaching into your pocket and throwing a little bit of money in the offering box. Paul says that what Jesus did, literally, was that he became poor so that we might become rich. So that by his poverty, we might become wealthy. Now, Paul is not talking about financial wealth. And we know that because Jesus did not have financial wealth in his life. So when Paul says, Christ became poor so that you might become rich... We know he's not just talking about like money in your checking account. He's talking about some other kind of poverty. He's talking about some other kind of wealth. And he actually speaks about it in another letter in Philippians. If you have a Bible, you're welcome to turn there. It's Philippians chapter 2. If you don't, that's okay. Just listen and I will read this passage to you. Philippians chapter 2. Uh, why don't we start in verse 3. Excuse me, verse 5. Paul says this. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. So again, he's going to lift up Christ as the example. And in this case, he says, I want you to have the same mind. I want you to have the same understanding that Jesus himself had. Verse 6, who though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited. 
So though Christ knew that he was in the form of God, he did not consider that something that he should exploit. But instead, he emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Now, this phrase in here that says in verse 7, but he emptied himself, uses a Greek word that's become sort of famous in, in theological study. That word is kenosis. And kenosis as a Greek word literally means to pour out until it is empty. And so what Paul is saying here in Philippians chapter 2 is that Christ himself became the outpouring of God himself for our benefits. Paul is saying this is who Christ was. This is what Christ did. Christ emptied himself completely for us because God emptied himself out completely for us. So there's a, a kind of pattern here that we're to follow that the essential nature of Christ and therefore the essential nature of God is not to gather power, it's not to gather abundance, it's not to gather wealth, it's not to gather favor or social standing, it's not to gather even authority in the way that we think of authority, but rather God's essential nature is to take whatever God has and empty himself out completely to pour it out onto us. And that outpouring of God's essential nature, where God took God's self and poured God's self out onto the earth, is what we call Christ. But that is how Christ was manifested in the person and the work of Jesus. And that's what Jesus does for us, too. Paul says that Christ's death on the cross is an example of how Christ took that very same essential kenosis, that outpouring, that self-emptying, that self-sacrifice, and he did the very same thing on our behalf by submitting to death. And so Paul, when he says back in his little fundraising speech, this Really fantastic little turn of phrase here. For you know the generous act of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. He means this exact same idea, this idea of kenosis, this idea that who God is and what God does is always and forever essentially a self-emptying for the good of others. That's what it means. That Christ became poor, not just in terms of money, but Christ became poor in terms of everything and anything that Christ might have valued. That Christ gave it all up so that we could benefit. Now, riches that Paul's talking about are not simply riches that, you know, make for bigger numbers in your bank account. Rather, it's spiritual riches. And by spiritual riches, I don't just mean like something invisible or esoteric or something that we can't put our hands on and our fingers to. Really what he's talking about is love. 
Because isn't this what it means to love each other? To literally empty yourself on behalf of another person who needs it. To literally give up whatever it is that you have because you have left behind your own ego. You've left behind your own interests. You've left behind any care or concern for your own personal time or your own desires or your own selfish needs. And you have simply said, I see you and I see your needs and therefore I am going to meet your needs with what I have that can feel very much like poverty. In fact, it feels so much like poverty that essentially when we are faced with the opportunity to do that, our first reaction is to say no and to grab a hold of everything that we have. Our first reaction is to say, I don't have time for that. Our first reaction is to say, I don't have enough money for that. Or, or to say, I, I just can't care about you. I don't have enough bandwidth for that. Your problems are not my problems. I've got my own problems. But that's not what Christ did, it's not what God does, and it's not what we're called to do. We are called to become poor so that others might become rich. And can I just tell you that there has never been a more important time for the church to be the church where this is concerned? I mean, I'm sure... I. I I feel like I'm suddenly like turning the corner on becoming like an old person. No offense to anybody who considers themselves to be old. Because all of a sudden, I really feel like, like the situation in our world is dire. Like we're at a turning point. If, if the church can't figure out how to teach people how to genuinely give of themselves so that those who are in need are helped, then I'm not sure there's going to be a world to give my kids to. It's starting to feel that important, that urgent, that necessary. And so then I think I must be getting old because when I was a kid, that's what all the old folks said, right? Like the world is falling apart. The world is coming to an end. Oh my gosh, everything is, you know, terrible. I really think that now. Last week, I didn't. Something happened. I'm worried, you guys, that, that if we don't take this posture seriously, that if my kids and your kids and their kids don't learn that who God is and what God does is essentially self-giving, self-sacrificing love, and if they don't learn to perpetuate it, then we are all in serious trouble. Uh, I know what happened. I, I just realized it. I started listening to the radio. But we have to figure this out. And it's incredibly important for us to hold up an image of God that is about giving of one's self. And so this gives me hope. If you don't know, that's Elias on the left and Brody on the right. And uh, Elias, who is, of course, cooking up something sweet. I'm not sure what it is. And Brody, I don't know what he's cooking up, but it ain't sweet by the look on his face. <laughs> but Elias and Brody, a couple Sundays ago, came down after church and helped out in Sarah's pantry, which is downstairs. 
And Janelle snapped this picture. When, when small children are willing to give their time to help people who are hungry, that gives me hope for our future. Because Elias and Brody, in between, like, you know, jumping their, their skateboards and, you know, like trying to torment their siblings, in between those really important tasks, they also respond to the call to help. And at some point between this age and my age, we're very much in danger of losing that. And so what Paul is calling us to do, what I am calling us to do, what God is calling us to do, is to just reconnect with the simple understanding that there are people in this world who need our help. And that when we have extra and can do something about it, we should. Paul continues in this passage, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 8 through 9. We're going to finish up with this. He says, I don't say this as a command, but rather I'm testing the genuineness of uh, your earnest for other, earnestness for others. Uh, and this is where he jumps into that, that phrase that we just visited. For you know that the generous act of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for others he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. So again, that's that essential sense of kenosis. And then he goes on to say this, and in this matter I'm giving you my, my advice. It's appropriate for you who began last year not only to do something, but even to desire to do something. Now finish doing it. Paul's saying, pay attention to that spark of a desire in you to give to the needs of others. Because it's easy to lose. It's easy to lose. So finish doing it so that your eagerness may be matched by completing it according to your means. And then this is the other really important theological point that Paul makes here. He says, for if the eagerness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. In other words, we're all called to give out of whatever extra we have, not to give out of the extra that we don't have, right? So, it's not my place to stand up here and say to you, you know, give and then give and then give some more. I don't care if you have it or not. God calls us to give. That's actually not what Paul tells us to do. Paul says, no, no, we're all called to give according to our means. Some of you may give more and some of you may give less. Some of you are able to give more and some of you are able to give less. And that's okay. Then he's going to go on to make a really important point. But I got to back up a little bit. He's going to go on to make a really important point, but he says this, I do not mean that there should be relief for others and pressure on you, but it is a question of a fair balance between your present need or your present abundance and their need so that their abundance may be for your need in order that there may be a fair balance. As it is written, the one who had much did not have too much, and the one who had little did not have too little. And here, Paul is quoting Exodus chapter 16. And this brings us right back to what we talked about the first week of this month. Exodus chapter, chapter 16 is the story of manna in the desert. 
The story of manna in the desert is, is where a bunch of people are wandering around in the wilderness and they're all lost and hungry and starving and a little bit hangry and cranky, right? And they're saying, boy, this is lame. It was way better when we were slaves in Egypt because at least then we had three square meals a day. And they say to Moses, what are you going to do about this? Moses goes and he prays to God and he says, God, I've got some really cranky people on my hands. You know, they're saying that I led them out here to kill them. What are you going to do? And God says, yeah, I hear them. I'm going to send you bread and meat every single day. And this is where we get the manna that falls from heaven and the quail that come out so that they have bread and they have meat. And just so that you know, the spoiler, right, the whole point of this story is we are all lost and starving in the desert. It's a metaphor for life. I don't care how rich or how poor you are, at some point we all struggle with feeling like we don't have enough. But the great lesson of Exodus 16 is there is more than enough. We just have to have eyes to see it. It's out there. We just have to go out like the Israelites in the wilderness and gather the abundance of what God has given. But then something really important happens. In Exodus 16, it says, those who gathered a lot of manna didn't have any extra left over, and those who only gathered a little didn't have any lack. In other words, those who only gathered a little only needed a little, and those who gathered a lot needed a lot, and those are the instructions that God gave through Moses. So when we read Exodus 16, the natural logical conclusion is everybody did what they were told. That's the way you read that. But Paul offers a whole new interpretation. Because you see, Paul is asking a rich church to give to a poor church, the one in Jerusalem. And he's saying to them, I'm not asking you to give money so that you can be hard up. I'm not trying to make it more difficult on you. What I'm saying is that there are other people who are in need. And right now, your extra will help relieve their pressure. And the reason you do this is because at some point, you're going to need help too. And when that happens, their extra will supply for your needs. And then Paul quotes Exodus chapter 16. What Paul's saying is this. Hey, you guys remember that story about man in the desert? It's not just that everybody went out and gathered exactly what they needed. No, no, no. If you had a half a million people in the desert and they all were like rushing around every morning to gather a bunch of bread, you know that you'd probably end up with a little bit extra sometimes. And you know that on other days you might end up with not quite enough. But the passage says that the one who had a lot did not have too much and those who had little did not have too little. Therefore, Paul is arguing, they shared with each other. They shared with each other. Paul's saying life is not about you being out for yourself and nobody else. Paul's saying, listen, there are times when we end up with more than we need. And when that happens, you're supposed to share with those who don't. That's how God's economy works. Now, this is not just my way of asking you to give money to this church. And that's bad news for you. 
Because if all I was doing was teaching you this message, because I wanted you to give more money to this church, then you could just ignore me, couldn't you? You could be like, I gave enough. Pastor, I already give my monthly gift. I'm good. He's not talking to me. But I have bad news for you. That's not why I'm teaching you this message. It's not that so that you can give a little bit more to this church today. I'm teaching you this message because God calls all of us to give more to those who are in need every day of our lives. It's, it's not enough to sequester your generosity to your Sunday morning gatherings. It's not enough for you just to like, you know, dole out your small charitable gifts to, you know, whatever charities you're fond of and then, you know, hoard the rest of it later. It's not. We are all called to live lives of kenosis. So give to this church or don't give to this church. I don't care. God's going to get what God wants at this church. I can't stand here and tell you not to be anxious about money and then be anxious about money at the church. Give to us. Don't give to us. I think that what we're doing is good and I think you should give to this place. But if you don't, that's okay. That's between you and God. But it's between you and God, and this is what God calls us to. God calls us to pour ourselves out for others. That, just, that means not just your money, but your time and your talents and your emotional availability for those who are struggling and you know, your kindness when you're tempted to just ignore the difficulty that somebody else is experiencing. It means every single bit of you. I'm sorry, but that's what it means. Being a Christian is not about showing up here once Sunday, every couple of weeks or whatever it is that we come, and then like, you know, hearing a semi-inspirational message from like the short white guy at the front, and then like singing some songs and throwing some change in the box so that you can go back to the regular life that you live every day. For God's sake, if that's what you're doing, then just stop. That's a waste of time. There are way more important and fun things you could do with your life. This is about being transformed into the image of God who pours himself out for others. That is what we're called to. And if that means that you give money to this church, great. If it means that you give money to somebody else, fine. But you're going to have to answer to somebody bigger than me at the end of the age when God wants to know how you poured yourself out. And I'm going to have to answer for that too. This is a struggle for me. just what it says. Sorry. But the really great news is this is a better way to be. It's a better way to live. It's the way of grace that connects you to the endless abundance of God and God's community so that you do not have to live a life struggling and fighting and self-seeking. We get to be free from that. That's what God invites us to. That's what you're invited to this morning.
We're going to sing together one last time. I'm going to ask the band to come up. And I want to challenge all of us to ask ourselves how it is that God has called us to pour ourselves out for others. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this opportunity to hear your words of life for us. We thank you for this opportunity to be free from the bondages of self-seeking, and a hoarding after the things that we think we need. God, I ask that you would make this a place where we are deeply connected to you and deeply connected to each other out of a generosity that creates justice in our community. God, I ask that you'd make this a place where people in need can continue to come and receive the goodness that you have poured out. Help us to remember why you have given us so much. And give us the courage to be a part of your kingdom economy. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.